0: All right, if you will, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 23. Acts 23. As you are turning there, um, we are going to be celebrating baptism today at the end of our service. but today's going to be a little different. Um, the two people that we are baptizing are Tina and Roger. And uh, Roger is unable to get up into our baptistry. So we're doing a horse trough baptism and uh, we're, which we're we're not new to. We did one last year. Um, and so we're going to be outside at the end of, of our service. I don't need that. And um, uh, we're going to uh, we're going to dump these two outside. So you probably were wondering, we're not having a barbecue or chili Y'all saw guys outside boiling pots of water. We're trying to warm the water up for Tina and Roger. And so uh, um, and it it is getting warmer. And uh, so we're going to be doing that at the end of service. So after we close in here, don't rush off too fast. We're going to go outside to the front and we're going to celebrate in baptism for these two people. And so... um, and then two, I also want to make mention, today is the last day to donate to the the prison ministry and to the Appalachian ministry through the Stanley Montgomery Baptist Association, the shampoos and the socks. And so Caroline's going to be taking those this week, I believe. So um, those are, today is the last day we are taking those. All right, Acts 23, verses 12 through 35. If, you, if you're there, say word. All right, three of y'all are there. I'm glad y'all brought y'all's Bibles. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm being sarcastic, guys. Don't get mad at me. Acts 23, verses 12 through 35. Let's go ahead and read it. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. Paul called one of the one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him. I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there were that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. And when they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help us to see the truth you have in your word this morning. Use me as you see fit. I pray that you would do that. We ask this in your son's holy and precious Beautiful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Title of my sermon this morning is God's sovereignty and our suffering. God's sovereignty and our suffering. And I know it seems like we keep talking about this idea of circumstances and situations, trials and suffering. And what we're seeing is, as Paul is, we're, we're seeing now more and more of this suffering That Jesus had promised Paul that he would endure. I mean, we see that he is now on his way to um, Antipatris to go and be under Felix. But we are reminded in verse 11 from last week of the promise that Jesus made to him. Jesus made the promise. It says the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And Jesus is saying, you are going to speak on my account in Rome. That is a promise Christ has made to Paul. But here we see in just in verse 12, the next verse, there's a plot to kill Paul. Now, if you've been here and you've been following us through the book of Acts, and we've been looking at this story of Paul recently, you know Paul is no stranger to suffering. Paul is no stranger to having his life on the line. Paul is no stranger to having people try and kill him. But here he is going to witness God's suffering, so- sovereignty in his suffering. Today is October 31st. To many of you, it is Halloween. But To some of us, it is the Reformation Day. October 31st, 1517, 504 years ago today, Martin Luther walks up to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and he nails the 95 Theses to the door. All he was trying to do was to have a conversation with the Roman Catholic Church on a lot of the issues that he had seen in the church. But what it ended up doing is it didn't just start a conversation between Luther and the church. It sparked an entire reformation. And we see that after Luther nails these theses to the door, the church wants him. They want his life to where even Luther has to go in hiding. Luther even has to run and it even comes to a point to where Luther is brought to what is known as the diet of worms. And he's being told to recant everything that he has said. Where he has talked about where where faith is only gifted by God. Faith is not earned. We're not saved from works. Luther was saved after reading Romans 16 and 17, where it talks about it is faith alone within our lives that saves us. Well, when Luther was approached, everything that he had said, Luther stands up and he gives a little speech. But in summary, he says, I cannot do anything except stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. Here I stand, I can do no other. In his suffering, we see God's sovereignty. Reformation Day is a is a promise of God's sovereignty in the midst of suffering that His purposes will be accomplished. Promises are kept. Reformation as something that has brought us back to the truth of God's Word. Today we need another reformation, but in order for us to have this reformation, we need to trust in the sovereignty of God. So here's the main idea I've got for you this morning, for this text. We can see it in Luther's life. We can see it in Paul's life. You can even testify this morning it in your life. But here's the main idea. God works in our situations for his purpose and plan. God works in our situations for his purpose and plan. Now this be encouraging to us, right? My son's. Man, they, I've got a four-year-old teenager living in my house. Does not listen to me. Turn around. See? Not even listening to me. He's trying to look at you guys. But I tell this kid to do stuff, and he still goes on his own way. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't trust me. He doesn't think that, that I know what I'm talking about. He doesn't think that that, that, that that what I want for him is the best for him. He doesn't think that when I tell him, no, it's not because I'm punishing him, but because I want him, I want the best for him. I'm not going to give him candy for every meal. It's not the best for him. And it's not the best for my bank account when we have to replace his teeth. But... We have to see that God works in our situations for his purpose and plan. My son doesn't understand my plan for him. My son doesn't, they they don't understand when when I tell them to do something and how to live and how to obey. They they think I'm at times. And I might be sometimes. Trevin came home with a bucket full of candy from his Halloween party at preschool. I keep telling him, no, he can't have it because I want it. But I want to see my kids grow up and be smart. I want them to be healthy. I I, I want the best for them. When God works in our situations for His purpose and plan, we are to trust that His purpose and plan for our lives are good. God has has a grand purpose and plan for your life. I believe any purpose of God is grand. I believe any purpose and plan God has is a big plan. So, yes, I believe God does have a grand purpose and plan for your life. And he's, he shows us what he shows us what these are when he works in our situations. And you this morning might be dealing with the situation, a situation, a trial. You might be suffering in some way, dealing with pain in some way. And you're probably wondering, why am I going through this? God is working within it for his purpose and plan and we are called to trust it and i know that that is hard i know that that is hard god works in our situations for his purpose and plan so let's break this down i got three ways we can see this number one first we can see that god is sovereign over our situations He's sovereign over our situations. When we look at verses twelve through through twenty-two, we see that Paul, Paul's nephew. Now we don't know how old this kid is. Um, they, uh, the, Luke calls him a young man, but we see that the Tribune, when 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 Paul's nephew comes up to him, takes him by the hand and walks him to a corner. So he may be a, a, a child, maybe a young teen. We don't know, but his nephew hears of a plan of a plot. To kill Paul. And what happens? He goes and tells Paul. Then Paul, who didn't just sit back and say, well, you know what? Jesus promised me that I'm going to Rome, so I'm not even going to worry about it. No, Paul says to the centurion, go go take this young man. He's got something to tell the tribune. So this guy, this young man, this kid, however however old he is, goes and tells the tribune of the plot to kill Paul. Now what we see in verses 12 through 22 is a process starting in which verse 11 is coming true. It is because of the threat on Paul's life that the tribune decides to go ahead and send him to Felix the governor. God is sovereign over our situations. God is working within this plot to kill Paul for Paul to get to Rome. We see these events unfold. And and a lot of times when we go through our trials and suffering, we don't truly at that point sometimes know what it is that God's doing. You've had plans thinking this is God's plan for my life to either take this job or buy this house or, 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 or whatever the plan may be. And then all of a sudden that plan unfurls and then you're like, what just happened? I thought that was God's plan for me. He's sovereign over our situations and then we tend to find out later why it doesn't work out. Sometimes, but not always. I think the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith can help us with this. This is what it says. This, the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith is, 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 is an old but good Baptist confession, and it, it 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 talks about all of the statements of belief for Baptist churches, and this is what what one of them says on divine providence. It says this: this is uh, chapter five, paragraph two. It says all things come to pass unchangeably and certainly in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, who is the first cause. Thus, nothing happens to anyone by chance or outside of God's providence. I'm going to say that sentence again. Thus, nothing happens to anyone by chance or outside of God's providence, God's sovereignty, God's control. Yet by the same providence, God arranges all things to occur according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or in response to other causes. In other words, he's sovereign over all things. And he causes all things to work out for, his good, for our good and for his glory. And so you're here this morning, and whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever trial you're going through, whatever suffering you're dealing with, Whatever pain you're feeling, whatever doubt, whatever it it may be. I'm pretty sure every single person in this room this morning is dealing with something. We should rest in knowing that God is sovereign over it. That you're not going through this outside of God's control. That you're not going through this outside of God's purpose and plan. God's purpose and plan for Paul's life is to go to Rome and to testify. And we see it coming to fruition through a plot to have Paul killed. Even God uses our enemies for his purpose and plan to come to fruition. We trust that God is sovereign over our situations over our circumstances, over our suffering. And we wonder, what did I do to deserve this? Let me me open this up a little bit. Me and and Pastor Ludd have been talking a little bit about this because he's having to write a paper for, for school. You don't even deserve to wake up this morning. You didn't even deserve that. You don't even deserve to be here today. You don't even deserve to be breathing the air you're breathing at this moment. Because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all deserve judgment. We all deserve hell. We all deserve that. So when we ask the question, why am, what did I do to deserve this? That's not the question we should be asking. That's not the question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is, is what what have I done to deserve waking up this morning? Because it's only by God's grace that we're able to even be here at this moment, to live, to glorify Him, to serve Him, to serve the church to love, to share the gospel. You are awake because God has numbered our days. He's sovereign over it. You are here because God is sovereign over your life. He's in control. And we should rest. Should take a deep breath in and rest Knowing that God's got it. Because if he's truly good, if he truly knows all things, if he's truly got a plan and a purpose, and and if his plan and purpose is truly good, then we should trust the plan and the purpose and allow God's grace to strengthen us. Allow God's grace to encourage us. Allow God's grace to... Help us go each and every single day to live and to glorify him. He's sovereign over our situations. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Not only does the confession help us, God's word help us see this. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Psalm 103.19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12. It says it's yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come for, from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. God rules. God is sovereign. And we can see it even in Genesis with Joseph. You may not have heard the story, but this kid he gets beat up by his brothers, and then he gets sold into slavery, and then he 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 ends up working in, in 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 this king's house, and then his wife ends up making a move on him, and then he gets banished and kicked out and thrown in prison, and then he ends up coming out of prison, and then ends up being second in command over all of Egypt. And then his brothers come back not even knowing who he is needing help and Joseph who has seen what people have meant for evil God meant for good Genesis 50 verse 20 Joseph says it as for you you meant evil against me but evil against me but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today these people that mean evil to Paul. God is meaning it for good because it is putting into motion the plan for Paul to get to Rome. God is sovereign over our situations. Not only is he sovereign over our situations. Secondly, God always accomplishes his purposes. He always accomplishes his purposes. Verses 23 through 33, we see we, we see the tribune is, is is making preparations for Paul to get transported to Felix. He sends a letter out. He, he lets Felix know what is happening and, and Paul gets set on his way. And we see again this process unfold of Paul making his way to Rome. Now, it's going to take a couple more years before he gets there, but he's at least starting to head there. We see that God always accomplishes his purposes. He has kept Paul safe. He gets away from the Jews that are trying to kill him. He is, in verse 35, guarded in Herod's praetorium. So God has accomplished his purpose in keeping Paul safe, protecting him through this. We are reminded again and again throughout Scripture, God never fails. He always accomplishes what it is he sets out to accomplish. He has a plan. We see the plan from the very beginning. The plan from the very beginning has always been Jesus. From even before creation. The promise has always been Christ. To come. Jesus was not a promise made from Genesis 3 on. It's not like, oh, y'all messed up. Now I got to send my son. No, Jesus has always been the plan. And he always accomplishes his purposes. Jesus didn't accidentally get crucified. We've talked about this even through the book of Acts. Acts even shows us that it was the predestined, predetermined plan for Christ to be killed. And that God sovereignly worked within people's lives through the evil of man to kill Christ to accomplish his purpose of salvation for his people. God always wins. God never fails. And let me tell you, he never fails in your life. He never fails in your trials, in your suffering. He never fails in what you're dealing with. There's always a purpose. James 1 tells us to count it all joy when we encounter trials of various kinds. Because it, it brings out, brings about endurance. It brings about growth. It brings about this area in which we're being made more and more and more and more like Christ. We come out better on the other end, always. Because God is sovereign and He always wins. He's victorious. God doesn't know how to lose. He doesn't know how to fail. Proverbs nineteen twenty one. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I've Told you my, my kids love the word why. Uh, I, I, my wife told me the other day, she's tired of me using family as illustration. I'm like, too bad, you married the wrong man. Um, My kids love the word why. Jaden stopped doing that. Why? Because daddy said so. And Daddy knows best. God has the final say. Always. God always wins. I may lose arguments in my household because my wife always wins. But God never loses arguments. God's plan never fails. His purposes never fail. Ephesians 1, 11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He accomplishes His purposes and His will always. Always. So you here this morning... And maybe it was hard for you to even come or maybe it's been difficult for you to be in prayer and in your word because you've just been hurting or, or doubting or questioning or whatever it is you're dealing with. Understand that in your suffering, in your pain, God always has a purpose. One thing we like to say here, there's no such thing as purposeless suffering for a believer. No such thing. God has a Purpose for what you're going through. And he always accomplishes his purposes. Always. I'm glad to be on God's team because the other team's going to lose. Always. Thirdly, not only does God always accomplish his purposes, but thirdly, he uses our trials to make Christ known. God uses our trials to make Christ known. Verse 34 and 35. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that Paul, he, Paul, was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Now... We see that Paul is now under somebody else. He is now being guarded in Herod's Praetorium. The accusers, these, these religious leaders, are going to make their way down. We're going to see this here soon when Paul stands before Felix. Uh, uh, we, we, we see this plan unfold where Paul is making his way to Rome. He's not there yet, but he's making his way. But what is it that when you get Paul in front of a group of people, when you get Paul on trial and people start asking him, why are you doing? What are you doing? What is Paul going to do? He's going to talk about Christ. He's going to talk about who Jesus is. He's going to talk about what Christ has done within his life, how Christ has saved him, how Christ has brought him here, how Christ has protected him, how Christ has how Christ has done all these things within his life to make him the man he is today. The trials that he's been through, everything he's been through up to this point is under the sovereign will of God, and Christ has been sustaining him this whole time. And I know there's many of you here this morning who have endured trial after trial after trial, and you can testify that the only reason why you're still here today is because of Christ's sustaining grace. The only way that you're able to make it through these trials, make it through these circumstances, is because Christ is sustaining you. And so what is it that God wants to do with us through these trials to make Christ known? We've got a young lady in our church, um, Beverly Troxler, who this week she is going to be having brain surgery. Um, she's got, uh, they think it is a growth, a, uh, a tumor, and they're going to go in this week. She couldn't be here this morning. Uh, we were going to pray over her. She told me, um, Wednesday night that she has to be quarantined for five days before she goes into the surgery. And when she had first told me about this a couple months back, we were out here at the car wash that the youth were putting on for the, for the PRC. And, uh, I asked her about it. How are you doing? You know, what, what's been going through your, through, through your mind? And she's like, I'm okay. And so just me curious as a pastor, talking to a teenage girl, I was like, why do you feel like you're good? Like, you've just been told you might have brain cancer and you're about to go under, undergo surgery for it. You know what she said? Blew me away, convicted me. She said, I'm hoping to use, and I hope she's okay with me sharing this. I'm sure she is. She's such a sweet girl. She said, I'm hoping to use my situation to share the gospel with the people that are going to be working on me, that are going to be giving me surgery, that are going to be treating me, that I'm going to, she's like, I'm hoping to share the gospel with them. It's like, like when I'm struggling I want to crawl on a corner and get in the fetal position and cry. But yet you want to take your suffering and share Christ through it. Oh, conviction. God uses our trials to make Christ known. He does. He works within our situation so that he may receive all glory and that the gospel may be spread. Let me share the last paragraph of the divine providence out of 1689. It says this, The providence of God in a general way includes all creatures, but in a special way it takes care of his church and arranges all things to its good. The purpose of God's sovereignty and divine providence is to the good Of the church to grow it, to build it, that people may come to know Christ, even though we suffer, even though we're in pain at times, God uses our trials to make Christ known. And there's so many people in here that I've had conversations with through your trials and I've seen how you've glorified God and made Christ known through it. I've heard your testimonies. I've cried with you. I've I've prayed with you. I've seen these trials. And I can testify that God has used you in my life like God has used Beverly so far. That was conviction. To where that's where we need to be with our trials, the purpose of making Christ known. Through our suffering, we share the hope of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through through 10, this is where Paul's talking about the thorn in the flesh, and he's pleaded for God to take it from him. But, verse, verse 9, he said to me, God said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, And Paul says this, therefore, because of that, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is through our trials that people see the strength of Christ within us. How is it that you've endured so much? Because Christ is working within my life and that's where my hope lies. It's not in my strength. It's not even in my doctor. It's not in the medical field. It's not in anything within this world. My hope lies in Christ who uses all these things for my good. Church, I know we all have gone through Trials and suffering. And I know we all have struggled at times, but we need to be reminded of the grace that God uses within our trials. Of the grace that he uses to endure us so that we may boast all the more gladly when those trials come. So that we may celebrate, not that we're suffering, but that we can experience more of God's grace. Because I'm going to tell you, and I'm telling you from experience I know I'm still young, but I'm I'm getting older. But I know a lot of you are older than me and you can share with me your experiences and you've already have. But with the life that I've already lived, the 33 years that I've lived on this on this earth, I've never felt closer to Christ than in my darkest days. I've never grown more in my faith than when I've been at my wits end. I've never Felt the strength of God more than when I felt the weakest. God uses our trials to make Christ known. Not only to us, not only within our own lives, but to the world. One evidence, one illustration that I can give before we close out is this. When we look at the church in India... It is illegal for you to be a Christian in India. It is illegal for you to gather as a church. Where in America, we're free to gather. We're free to go. We're free to worship. But the church in America is declining. The church in India is growing rapidly. Rapidly. And they're suffering. There's persecution there. Why is it growing? Because the people are seeing Christ evident in the lives of the believers who are willing to endure and suffer for the cause of Christ. How is it that people grow in their faith when they see us within our trials? Because they see that you are weak. And you're in pain, yet they see how Christ is sustaining you and giving you endurance and strength to, to overcome these things. Jesus says, do not fear the world, for I have overcome the world. The Bible tells us that our suffering is just preparing us for a world of glory. That one day we're going to look back on this, the suffering that we've dealt with, And we're going to think it was all worth it. It was all worth it. I'll do it again because Christ is worth it. One of these days when we stand before Jesus and we stand within all of his glory and splendor and we're on our knees worshiping, weeping, looking at the Savior who suffered for our sake, the one who hung on the cross so that we may be saved, we're going to look back on our suffering and think it was worth it. This world holds nothing for us. This world does not give us hope. This world does not give us satisfaction. This world does not give us salvation. Christ does. Our bodies are going to fail. Our bodies are going to fall apart. Pain's going to come. But when we look to Christ and we trust in his promises, just like Paul is doing right now. Paul's trusting in the promise that Jesus is sending him to Rome. Paul's probably struggling with it. He's he's weak. He's got flesh. But we rest in the promises that Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. We rest in the promises that he will strengthen us and endure us. We rest in the promises that he will always be with us. God uses our trials to make Christ known. So church, I pray that you rest in that. Rest in the fact that God works in our situations for his purpose and plan. I know you're probably hurting, but Christ suffered for us on our behalf. Nobody knows suffering more than Jesus does, and He sympathizes with us. He hurts with us. He weeps with us. Rest in Him. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that You would help us this morning as we seek to trust in You and Your purpose and plan for our lives. God, I pray that You would help us to trust that You are working within our situations. God, I pray that You would help us to trust that You are sovereign over them that you always accomplish your purposes and that you use our trials to make Christ known. Help us, Lord, this morning. We ask this in your son's precious name. We pray, amen.